G'day, mate. 40 here. Perhaps the most talked about new guru is on the right wing sphere is Bronze Age Pervert. And uh, from my first uh, reactions to this guy back in, in 2018, I was repulsed and simultaneously recognized his genius. Now we know more about him. He's a Romanian American who did a PhD in political science at Yale under Stephen Smith. Uh, let me play a little bit from a show. We did uh, June 22, 2018 with Kevin Michael Grace and Dennis Dale. People and have excised entire centuries, right? And this is sort of, well, we knew that, you know, that's this, what, there must be a name for this fallacy, but we see it introduced as uncertainty fallacy, where people want to introduce it as if it's not, you know, it doesn't affect their side equally, whatever it is they're saying. Yeah, well, I, just, I, my version of history is right. Every other, every, everyone else's version of history is, is wrong. I wanted to mention one other thing, when he writes about homosexuality, I found this quite disturbing. That uh, this openness, the, the gay rights homosexuality, he seems to be particularly against. But he points to this, the hidden homosexuality, you know, the, uh, and I've been thinking about this Here because I, I just read the bio, Don Davis' uh, biography of, of Jimmy Savile and uh, an essay, which I highly recommend by Andrew O'Hagan on the Savile phenomenon and the phenomenon of uh, pedophilia at the BBC. That this hidden homosexuality that, that existed before the gay rights movement was just incredibly sinister. Yeah, I can imagine. I want to weigh in here. I incredibly sinister in some instances. Overall, it, it wasn't incredibly sinister. There are plenty of sinister aspects of uh, heterosexuality. All right. Most, most gays <laughs> not going around acting like Jimmy Savile. I, I had a really hard time with the book. If uh, Kevin hadn't assigned it, I wouldn't have made it three pages. First of all, I have no idea who this guy is. So I have no, no idea why I should take him seriously on, on anything. I don't know his, his credentials, his past publishing history. Uh, he sets forward no reasons why we should listen to him. Uh, the guy hates ethics and, and ethical systems. Uh, the guy is, is not religious. His, his ethic is that of the jungle, basically, that might makes right. He glorifies piracy and tyranny. And on his uh, Twitter, Bronze Age Pervert, it's just like photo after photo of uh, barely clad men. It, it, it's really, I mean, his Twitter and his, his book are, are fairly disturbingly homo in some way that I, I don't get. And uh, here's just one quote from him. For the pervert, a life of simple barbarian freedom. However short and brutal it may be, is always preferred to the banal tedium of life or mere existence in a late-stage civilization. I mean, I, I hate that. Like, for the pervert, to me, the pervert is not someone to be venerated. Uh, a life of simple barbarian freedom sounds like a horror show to me. Uh, however short and brutal it may be, I, I don't think we need, an, generally speaking, an increase in brutality. I don't think we need a glorification of, of brutality. Uh, I don't think we need a glorification of the male form. I mean, that is just gay. We don't need that crap. And then the banal tedium of life. Well, if you have friends... If you have family that you care about, if you have hobbies, life is not at all a banal tedium. So when we find out more about the guy behind Bronze Age Pervert, you, you see that my early intuitions were, were correct, right? This guy is not someone with uh, friends, boyfriends, girlfriends, uh, thought to be living out of his car, uh, not someone with normal human connections, and so he's produced this, this grandiose exhortation essentially that boils down to suck my dick and treat me like a god which is kind of similar to the vibe given off by kenneth brown aka deep left jerkal and by Manchester mordbug aka curtis yavin so rosie gray writes in politico july 16 yesterday in 2018 costan alamario disappeared there was a flurry of activity in october when alamario a romanian american writer with a phd from yale Published an article, Jair Bolsonaro and the Pipulous Crisis in Brazil in Palladium Magazine, an online journal associated with the anti-democracy, pro-authoritarian neo-reaction movement. 
Lamario announced on Twitter he was restarting his account and he tagged far right figures like Steve Coulter and Steve Saylor and Ann Coulter. Hi, Steve. I closed my account before but reopened to post some new articles. Hope you follow back. You might be interested in this one about Brazil, he wrote to Saylor. But on October 30, 2018, he suddenly stopped tweeting. He hasn't posted since then from that account. He hasn't published any work since then, nor has he held a job with any public profile. As far as the general public is concerned, Alamario no longer exists. But as Alamario was disappearing, another figure looking to make a name in conservative circles was on the rise. 2018 was also the year that Bronze Age Pervert, or BAP for short, became a household name in far-right circles. He built a small but loyal following by June 2018, tweeting from his account featuring a profile picture of a shirtless, well-built man photographed from behind. Self-published his book, Bronze Age Mindset, curious mix of philosophy, polemic, and lifestyle advice. All in the service of the argument that embracing one's authentic masculine virtue is the only way to conquer the lower types of mankind and to root out the worst parts of democracy. So here's a sampling from the book. goes without saying that you must lift weights. Women's liberation infects a society with a terminal disease. Readers should prepare for impending and desirable military rule in Western countries. So there's a pretty good takedown against this new paganism by... Jack Butler of National Review. Operate as a form of civic religion for the political left. Less discussed, however, according to Jack Butler of National Review, is the emerging form or forms of paganism on the political right. Most prominent among them is Kostin Alamariu, a Romanian political science PhD from Yale who goes by the internet moniker Bronze Age Pervert. Alamariu is the author of Bronze Age Mindset, which Butler describes as, quote, an intentionally provocative, discursive, and ungrammatical exhortation outlining his thought. In it, Alamario laments the diminution of the authentic expression of masculinity and the masculine virtues and the failures of political conservatism to preserve those virtues and whatever else is good about society. In ideas reminiscent of Frederick Nietzsche, Alamario castigates the, quote, bugmen or human cockroaches for their weakening of men and of society and the need for a league of neo-Ubermenches to rise up and reshape the world in their image. Butler contends that, wild as all of this sounds, we should take the Bronze Age phenomenon and the rising new paganism seriously. Today, I talk with Jack Butler about the rise of this new paganism on the left and the right and how he contends that only a reinvigorated Christianity in the public square can adequately contend with these new pretender faiths of our time. You can find... Hey, some uh, comments in the chat. Luke, will you ever do a stream on decoding Luke Ford? And Bernard said, Cunt, hasn't Luke already done that directly and indirectly already? Is the critique of Bath that he is homosexual? That is what I see most right-wing Twitter. No, the... That, that is one part of the critique. The critique of BAP is that he is anti-family, right? He's anti-women. He's, he is for tyranny. He valorizes some of the biggest ty- tyrants in history. He, he wants essentially an age of strongman tyrants and, and pirates running the world. And I think that's a good idea. Find additional resources in the show notes for this episode, as well as find previous episodes of Act in Line on our website. Jack Butler is submissions editor in National Review Online, a media fellow for the Institute for Human Ecology, and a 2022-23 Robert Novak Journalism Fellow at the Fund for American Studies. He is the author of the essay Against the New Paganism for National Review, which we'll be discussing today. Jack Butler, welcome to Act in Line. Thank you for having me. So we're talking today about this piece that you had at National Review entitled Against the New Paganism. Uh, Why don't we start with just give me a bit of a summation of your argument there. What are you seeing out there as this new paganism trying to supplant the role that, uh, as as you argue here, that only a forceful reinvigoration of Christianity stands a chance against the pretender faiths of our time? What are these new pagan faiths that you see and uh, what's the landscape look like? Well, I would say I see two primarily, although not exclusively, but it would be difficult to recount all of them. There is one that I will call the left paganism. (laughs) It's funny to put it that way because you hear 
people talk about right liberals and left liberals. I guess now we have uh, uh, right pagans and left pagans. But the left pagans, I'll call the, this is, this is wokeness, for lack of a better term. This is the secular faith, which I actually think owes something to the cultural memory of Christianity in certain ways. It, it has retained certain of its features, but without any of the redeeming qualities of it. So in, in that sense, it, it probably more resembles a kind of Gnosticism, one of the early competitors of Christianity, and its belief in a uh, Medicaean struggle between good and evil and its vaunting of an inner spiritual core and its, and its va vaunting as well or elevating of, uh, of a spiritual elite, people capable of seeing the true knowledge. And yeah, so that, that's the... And so uh, chat says, is the critique of Bronze Age pervert that he is homosexual? No, it's that he, he valorizes uh, older men, you know, plowing younger men makes that the, the very highest thing that men could possibly achieve, wants to remove men from women and from family. Very much that uh, Bronze Age pervert is, is very much like Alan Bloom, who is just absolutely obsessed with seducing his students and speculating about whether they'd be open to gay sex. So the Bronze Age Mindset book did surprisingly well for a self-published work. It reached its highest number three on the ancient Greek history chart on Amazon. It was a word-of-mouth phenomenon. And uh, the other thing that accompanied it is the Bronze Age pervert uh, Twitter account, which was obsessed with showing photos of uh, uh, naked men, you know, unclothed men. So Razor Gay has got a good article here in Politico. He became a key figure in the world of conservative masculinity influences. Yeah, I mean, the type of people who like Menchus Moldbug, Curtis Yavin, and type of people who like Ken Brown, a.k.a. Deep Left Joe Call, all right, type of people really into Jordan Peterson and Andrew Tate. Yeah, it would make sense that they'd also valorize this antisocial, you know, delusional narcissist. So over the past several years, this universe has gained followers and proven itself to be a reliable channel to conservative ideas and Republican politicians for young men in particular. It's a breeding ground for reactionary political ideas. It's clearly influenced anonymous accounts like Delicious Tacos, Raw Egg, Nationalist, and Zero HP Lovecraft. So I believe that having bonds and ties is the most important thing in the world. I would rather be around people who have a good marriage and are atheists than people who have a mediocre marriage and are religious. I have far more trust in the behavior of people who have bonds, who have you know, a good family life and, and friends and extended family than people who are isolated and religious, right? You can essentially predict the social orientation of somebody by the, the depth of their ties, particularly to family and extended family. So Bronze Age Pervert is probably the most influential Anonymous right-wing account, articulating the most far-reaching political and cultural vision. It's an extreme vision built around a rejection of equality, democracy, and other promises of modern liberalism. And his devotees include Michael Anton, former White House national security spokesman, Darren Abadi, former Trump White House aide. Uh, Michael Anton wrote about the book for the Claremont Institute, says that it speaks to a youthful dissatisfaction, especially young White males, where equality is propagandized and imposed in our days. Uh, Bronze Age pervert has only grown in popularity despite being banned from Twitter for a period until late last year. Uh, Peter Thiel said he found BAP's solutions to modern problems tempting, though he disagreed with his distortions to the Judeo-Christian tradition. Republican Ohio Senator J.D. Vance follows, follows BAP on, on Twitter. So 
I mean, even in however decadent uh, the West is today, there's so much worth living for. So uh, on the other hand, I did recognize some sharp insights as I pushed myself through the book very unwillingly. Uh, but I, I was like, why, why? He never gives me a reason why I should read him. But then I realized that's his, his shtick. He's just going to come but he out. Doesn't have, he doesn't have to give a reason. Yeah. No, no man needs to give a reason. He publishes a book. You can read it or not. I asked you to read it and you read it. You know, he does come from a tradition. And this tradition begins around 1900. He mentions this word, Wandervogel. This is a tradition uh, that began in Germany and became very popular uh, on the continent. And you, you see a North American equivalent as well. You know, associated with this movement are various cults, the cult of youth. You see, the cult of youth is very strong in, in this book. The cult of beauty, the cult of nature, the cult of uh, animals. And, you know, people will say that uh, this led to certain, um, the rise of fascism. It, it, it helped in the rise of fascism in the 20th century. I mean, there are, there are definite uh, connections. I mean, the, the cult of youth strikes me as particularly dangerous because it leads to a kind of ground zero thinking that we should leave aside the wisdom of the elders and the wisdom of tradition and give ourselves over to the passion of youth. Now, I mean, obviously there's a, there's a virtue to youth. I, I, I want to defend him in, in this regard. This bug man life that he talks about, it, it's terrible. This idea that we all, you, you see this movement for us to live, or presumably the elite to live, to the age of 150. You must have seen this, both of you. Yes. Oh, yeah. And by living to 150, they, they don't mean as feeble and senescent either. They mean living vigorously to 150. There's no question in my mind that if people could live to 150, the largest cause of death would be suicide. Can you imagine having to work for 130 years? That, just to give one example. But this idea that what's our purpose in life? To acquire things and to occupy space? Well, nobody, nobody, nobody operates under the purpose of life is to acquire things. I mean, not even nobody that I've known. I mean, for, for most people, the purpose of life is the, the development of uh, their, their relationships with their family and their friends and their community and, and their hobbies and, and their interests. I mean, it, it's a human connection. That's the purpose of life. I mean, have, Kevin, have you have you truly met people for whom the accumulation of things is their primary goal in life? Is that a serious question? Yeah. Most primary people. Goal. Most people. Yeah. This is most people today. I think that's completely wrong. I mean, seriously, you think most people today are primarily dedicated to the collection of things. Uh, most people today, as I understand them, are primarily dedicated to their families, extended families, friends, communities, and their interests and their profession. We are, this problem of scale, which he doesn't address directly in the book, has led to this atomization, the maximizing of utility. It's horrifying and disgusting. And I, I fully agree with everything he has to say about it. I mean, uh, Luke, I, I think that you have entered in, in, into a tradition which is uh, radically opposed to, uh, to modern life. Absolutely. That this idea that we should you know, move across the country, leave behind our family and friends and our communities, because why? Because it will mean more money or more status. You must have really... Well, in much of Orthodox Judaism, they'll send their children across the world to go to a yeshiva in Israel or South America or Australia thinking that it's good for them to learn learn in a yeshiva setting, largely apart from their families. Also, for many Chabad emissaries, the shlukim, all right, they will pick up stakes and take their family all across the world to set up a Chabad house to you know, provide spiritual solace to any Jews that might be in the area and don't have a synagogue or don't have Jewish resources. So, yeah, family is a very high value in traditional Judaism, traditional ways of life, but it's not the only value. And there are plenty of times when people are asked to 
sacrifice their connections to that which is familiar and to their family and extended family to go serve things of even greater value. Realized that you run into, there was an onion story about this a few years ago, about some guy who had stayed in his hometown, you know, and was married and had a few children. And the joke of the story was that everyone understood that this guy was a jerk because who would do something like that? Instead of deciding to ooh, move to New York City and live in the village and, oh, look, you and I saw someone famous the other day. You know, this, this constant striving, striving for. So I, I repeat my question. Do you know people for whom their primary purpose in life is accumulating material goods? I do not know such people. And I've known billionaires. I know millionaires, right? Everyone I know who's rich, their primary purpose in life is their family, friends, community, and their interests. Or material goods. You know, you, you, you read of men, you, you read of men in their man caves, you know, <laughs> and they're proud of this, but it's just, it's pathetic and disgusting. I don't see what's uh, discussing about having a man cave, enjoying time in a man cave, having other blokes over. I know men with man caves, they have other guys over to study Torah, to uh, watch football games, to just hang out, drink and talk, having spaces for just men to be alone with other men, having a room in your house that's for you. I think that's a healthy thing. What, every room in the house must be equally open to... You know, everyone? I, I don't think so. Nick, you wanted, uh, what's your name today, content? My name's fine. Okay. Hi, guys. I, Hi. And I haven't read the book, but I, I tuned in just as you were sort of summarizing the book. And I wanted to ask Kevin, like, because uh, you mentioned Celine, um, and that was kind of fascinating to me. What about, like, is he like Rimbaud, too? I mean, is this like a late, like a decadent? Uh, well, he, is he, a yeah, he, goes, he goes into decadence. I mean, he, he lets us know that um, he likes to hang out with the wretched of the earth, or yeah. those people who made themselves the wretched of the earth. That is to say, the... Uh, you know, the whores, the sluts, the addicts, the dealers, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And he, he makes an extraordinary suggestion. After quite some reasonable suggestions in the final uh, section of his book, he goes on to this reverie about how, um, you know, the good guys could take over the paws, take over the filth, and use it as a kind of weapon. Well, I mean, I always think of the line between, yeah. like, a romantic attitude and a decadent attitude. I mean, it's, it's a very thin line. And it seems to me like, we, I feel like in my lifetime, I've lived in a world dominated by like enlightenment, scientism, sort of uh, everything, you know, stay in your laneism, basically, like, uh, you know, pay your dues, wait your turn, the baby boomers are in charge for your whole life. And it's like, I think that this book makes sense to me if it shows up kind of um, like without credentials, but with like a raw energy uh, that, yeah, that is like maybe even decadent or romantic. And I think, I even think like, because I'm very familiar with his tweets. And I remember that whole aesthetic of the buff kind of uh, shaved chest, bronze looking uh, what, what do you call them? Bodybuilder guys. And I, like, I, I could be wrong about this, but I even thought that some of that was like a trolling of like, of like the, like Luke's homophobia, you know, which is just kind of archetypal, like a uh, baby boomer, like kind of uptightness where like, I think that it could just be a playful, fun, romantic, loud, unapologetic force. And, and what it's for is for sort of finally projecting us into the next thing. Like whatever it is, we finally have to let go of, you know, baby boomerism. And, and this might be a fun way to do that. Does any of that resonate? Well, he, he puts himself inside another tradition. I don't know whether he recognizes it, which is the decadent tradition. Again, mm -hmm. roughly circa 1900. You, you see the yellow book uh, in England. You see the, uh, the symbolist poets in yeah. France, the deliberate cultivation of the derangement of the senses, yeah. uh, as it was known, to, to lead to a higher reality. Now, he mentioned... Yeah, I am probably too uptight. I need to get in touch with my Greco-Roman you know, passions for young boys, I, I, I guess. All right. Uh, back to Rosie Gray writing here in Politico. Yesterday, the person behind the online persona is not other than Alamario. 
who holds a PhD in political science from Yale. So when you're on the internet, a way of getting internet fame is by having extreme views and doing so consistently, authentically, and playing a role. This is Danielle Lee Thompson, who wrote a PhD on conservative influences. So she compares the way that uh, BAP operates to performance art and to Kafabi, the concept in professional wrestling of acting out stories and characters to heighten the drama of stage fights. Uh, I generally find this distasteful. It's not really my thing. So... BAP resembles folkloric tricksters who are willing to push the boundaries of polite discourse by creating a mythic character of their own, which you cannot do as a normal human being. And I think what's enabled Alamaria's transformation of himself into a mythic character is he doesn't really have many or any real-world ties. He seems to be completely cut off from normal forms of human connection, which in my book is not a good thing. So his transformation from a contrarian academic to transgressive internet sensation and idol of the new right is a story of the special allure that a provocative pseudonym holds and how it can help launch a modern media celebrity and spread extreme ideas. Right, I don't think it's about the special allure here that a provocative pseudonym holds. He's a vessel for some people's fantasies of you know, getting blowjobs for a lot of young men and having you know, esoteric Greco-Roman philosophy to justify that. So Bronze Age Mindset's written in signature slang, what means W-A-T, gay, G-H-E-Y, instead of gay, grill for girl. It's a salvo against contemporary society and liberal pieties. It's a part of a chorus of trad voices gaining traction online who deplore modern society's emptiness and the replacement of traditional values with progressive ones. So uh, Ken Brown, Deep Left Joker, seems to me you know, following in, in the, the footsteps of Bronze Age pervert doing something pretty similar, wanting to start a, a cult. Which is Gnosticism. Uh, you know, you, you see a very strong attraction to Gnosticism. That is the belief that this spark of the divine that he talks about, that only a handful of people will ever be able to appreciate mm -hmm. uh, the spark of the divine. And you, a very strong element of Manichaeism in, in his writing as well. Yeah, this idea sounds of... Sounds great to me. You know, that this tremendous uh, split in, in humanity, that this dualism... Now, I, I mean, philosophically, the book is all over the place because he seems to be, he seems to argue, for instance, near the beginning of the book, that the mind does not exist, that we are solely body. Now, how one could argue for the existence, how could one, one could demonstrate consciousness or argue for the existence of consciousness without uh, the mind? Uh, well, that's an interesting question. I mean, I think that like, uh, my understanding of, of uh, those French symbolist poets, Rimbaud and those guys, like you don't argue with them. You know, He's, it's not even an argument, it's a tone. Yeah. that's being communicated and i it, what you're saying makes me want to read it but i detect that you didn't enjoy it so much which is fine i mean that's kind of inevitable maybe but you see how like you could write a manifesto of tone that would appeal to just a new wavelength and um anyway so interesting choice i'm glad yeah. you put it on the list and i'll check okay. it out soon. Okay. well no that, if you see with the decadence just... well sorry to interrupt just, i'll just say this quickly with the decadence you see a revolt against what was seen as uh, over civilization a sissification yeah if you like yeah which I think we need. I mean, I, I remember trying okay, to... Wait, let's let it up, Dennis. Dennis, you kept getting rolled over. So, Dennis, make your point. Oh, uh, oh, I was just going to say to the content. No, it, exactly what you described, I was hoping this was what the book was. I wasn't looking for it to be empirical or sound argumentation or that this sort of romantic and literary thing, a work of art, pushing forward the broader narrative. I didn't care that this guy is... I don't know who this guy is or anything else, but he failed content. Uh, you could read the book if you like, but I think he failed at it. So okay. That's exactly what he attempted to do, what I think you described. There so, is... there. You know, the, the book is, is overwhelming. It's it's kind of like I'll compare it to you know a, a disco that you can hear the boom, 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 even before you enter right and as soon as you enter you can feel that kick drum hitting your sternum boom, 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 boom. and you either surrender or you flee 
That's what this book is like. Yeah, it has. It is very difficult to read, but if you if you go forward, yeah, I, I found this book uh, completely repulsive. You will find that it has a, a powerful narcotic like effect. Well, it works yeah. in parts. Sorry. Well, like I wonder if, uh, like, wouldn't you probably say similar things about Thus Spake Zarathustra? Well, exactly. It's kind of what he's attempting. Yeah. Sorry, and like the thing is, for a world, like you know, I, I'm kind of making fun of. I mean, I think we've done this before, Luke, the thing about credentialism or, you know, I mean, I think it makes sense to me that he doesn't, it, probably he doesn't have a PhD. So, Well, it does turn out that he has a PhD and he was a very gifted student. He wrote an original PhD thesis. So this is like a dumbed down version of his PhD thesis. You know, if, if we exist in a world where everybody has to have credentials or else we don't read them or listen to them, oh, that's one world. That's an enlightenment world. It's hierarchical. It's predictable. It's uh, stable and conservative. But every once in a while... You need a 32-year-old Alexander Hamilton and James Madison to write a brand new constitution and tell the king. And uh, Luke Croft says, 40, this challenges your Judeo-Christian foundations. You can't handle the challenge. Ricardo notes, BAP really stands for bareback anal penetration, gay style. Hang the fuck off. Like, it seems like that's kind of, I mean, I'm just from this. This guy doesn't steal the deal, though. He's all wind okay. up. He doesn't finish. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's he's a good so inconsistent. And, uh, you know, he's making big promises. Kevin says, you hear the bump, bump, bump. Yeah, and you get in the club. Yeah, Kevin, Michael Grace is a big fan of uh, the Bronze Age Mindset book and uh, Bronze Age Pervert. You, you never really find the music. Okay, you know, well, that's too bad. I, I don't know, read it. It's it's out there. I'll send you a copy. Yeah, if you read it, we'll definitely have you back on, Manic, uh, just to get, get your take. Yeah. Uh, but uh, see, when I encounter someone, either on the written word or at the Kiddish Club or at the LA Press Club, who starts making pronouncements about Judaism, Islam, Christianity, the ancient Greeks, uh, very definitive, very strong pronouncements like uh, this Bronze Age Pervert guy, it makes me question, like, how much do they really know? Because I, yeah, I found the book repulsive from valorization of tyrants, the promotion of you know homosexuality, of you know men taking you know younger men and essentially inducting them into sex, while at the same time pretending to be all anti-gay. The the slang, everything about it, I found repulsive. I could come on here right now, or I could come on here and start making all sorts of pronouncements about Nietzsche, mm -hmm. or I could make pronouncements about Christianity or I can make pronouncements about Socrates, but I, I wouldn't be coming from a background of debt. I would just be, it would just be completely shallow, you know, things off the, off the top of my head. And uh, Luke says in the chat, 40 is using the gay stuff to discredit the rest of what BAP has to say. Well, he valorizes tyrants. I don't valorize tyrants such as Caligula. Like he, he valorizes rule by pirates, essentially. He, he valorizes military rule. And I'm sure there are times and circumstances where military rule is the best option. Overall, though, I don't think rule by tyrants, pirates, and militaries is a good way to go. I also don't hold by denigrating women and family life. I think that uh, family life is the most important thing in the world that I haven't achieved, but I still believe it's the most important thing in the world for most individuals. And people who don't have a family life are much more dangerous and less reliably pro-social than people whose lives are interwoven with the lives of other people. After I've read perhaps one, two, three books on the topic, and that's, that's my suspicion of, of this guy. He's making pronouncements on so many difficult, weighty issues with complete assurance that I just don't trust that he has any expertise in all the things that he's pronouncing on. It, it makes me very uh, off-put when, when somebody makes all sorts of pronouncements, very strong, definitive pronouncements on a huge plethora of very difficult, weighty issues. It makes me wonder, is this guy either a genius or most likely he's a poser? Well, he obviously has a very strong dislike of uh, the Judaism of the book as opposed to, say, the Judaism of the temple. But, you know, his, uh, his strictures against uh, Islam are far stronger than that. 
I mean, I guess. The- yeah, and the Judaism of the temple didn't didn't last. All right, uh, Jews had a temple. What, about uh, 2,900 years ago until about 2,600 years ago, and then from about 2,400 years ago until about 2,000 years ago. But for most of Jewish history, Jews have not had a temple to organize them. Even when they did have a temple, the temple wasn't the primary organizing factor. It was the Torah. It was the book. The, I mean, in, in response to what you said, Luke, like there, like I think of you as being pretty uh, well-informed, let's say, about Judaism. Don't you feel like you're like you make pronouncements sometimes about Judaism. Yeah, I do make pronouncements, but I, I, I do it in the context of I don't even have a BA. Right. Uh, I, my, my Hebrew is very, very poor. Uh, I, I don't know Greek, which is the language of the New Testament. Uh, I have no credentials. Uh, I'm a guy who's been blogging for 21 years. Yeah, but uh, like, I think that's where I'm coming from. I, you know, I'm very clear where yeah. I'm coming from. Yeah, but I mean, you are clear. That's true. But I like I enjoy your perspective about all that stuff. So, I mean, I'm sure there are rabbis who have a much deeper dive and more credentials than you. But I also think your voice is... Uh, Reason, you know, it's reasonably well informed. Like you get the big picture, and sometimes once you get the big picture, you know, then you can make those kind of grand. And uh, Luke Croft in the chat says the anti-homosexual pearl clutching is just tedious. So, do you venerate the nuclear family? Right? Do you say that that's essentially the best way to organize a life around building, creating, expanding, developing a nuclear family? You know, a man, a woman, get married, have children have grandchildren, have relationships with extended family. If you, if you venerate that, then you will necessarily diminish the value of other ways of leading a life. Now, there are many ways of leading a life, and for some people, leading a life outside of family is the best way to go. So there is a tremendous amount of complexity. But overall, I just find empirically and from what I read that people who are, whose lives are embedded in family tend to be more pro-social, tend to be more reliable morally, tend to build a society. And people who are disconnected from others, like uh, Bronze Age pervert, tend to destroy societies. Proclamations, uh, like, I think, in a certain register, maybe. Well, take, for instance, this book. Luke's right about credentials mostly, but the problem I have with this book is not that this, I don't know who this guy is. I've read the book, and there's not, if, if this was a weightier book, if he delivered what he promised, then I'd be like saying, oh, who is this dude? It wouldn't matter. You know what I mean? Oswald Spengler was just some guy, right? Yeah. Nobody knew who he was. He produced, uh, you know, um, Decline of the West. And, mm-hmm. you know, I can't even tell you what's in that book. I read the first volume and I couldn't tell you what's in there. But apparently it was a, an achievement, you know. And he's- I'm happy to judge a work, you know, just on its own merits. It, it was just so off-putting reading Bronze Age Pervert. I, I was repulsed from, yeah, page one, page two, page three. I would never have read it if Kevin Michael Grace hadn't assigned it. But yeah, I think works of art and works of literature can be judged on their own merits. I also enjoy finding out more about the, the people who are behind them. If I know a little bit more about the biography of a person, then it helps me to assess how much trust I, I want to give. And so the more I find out about the biography of the person behind Bronze Age Mindset, the less trusting I am of his proclamations. I am skeptical and suspicious of the proclamations of people who lead disconnected lives. He's a guy to be taken seriously. So, and the argument ultimately stands on its own. Sorry. Yeah, sorry. And Eric Hoffer, perhaps the greatest philosopher of the 20th century, was a longshoreman. So he had no formal education, I believe, on a tertiary level. Yet he was a great philosopher. Uh, so by no means do, do I hold that you need to have a PhD to pronounce on difficult topics. It's just with, with Eric Hoffer, he used his real name. He he had a publishing history, and and I could read about him and know where he's coming from. This book comes out of left field, and it's an absolute assault, just as uh, Kevin describes. And and I do find like insightful remarks of, of 
what seemed like genius on a regular basis in this book. So on, on the one hand, my primary reaction... Okay, so here's a picture of Bronze Age pervert Constant Alamariu. Uh, here's a picture of him, his high school graduation. He was born May 21, 1980. So we, we now know who the real person is behind the persona. And in its belief that, that politics can be a, a sort of totalistic pursuit that can achieve things that we would previously have assumed that religion was responsible for. So we'll call that the, the left paganism, the wokeness. And then you have the right paganism, this vitalism, which exists in a kind of perverse symbiosis with its left counterpart because it sees that as trying to suppress things such as uh, authentic masculine virtue and to bury it in a, in a and put it in its proper place and subordinate it. And the, the, the right paganism seeks to elevate Virtues that are pre-Christian explicitly uh, that recall the Greco-Roman past that, that talk about almost the, the thrill of the kill and things of that nature that are just... Yeah, Greco-Roman passions for you know, gay love. So he differs from traditional conceptions of morality. He says that modern society should take after ancient Greece where pederasty was the rule. Right? Where beauty, strength, and courage, and pederasty were prized above all else. Right? Where women were regarded just as baby-making machines, right? He prizes classical homosexual conceptions of masculinity. He wants modern men to emulate these. He thinks that uh, what gives a society its strength was the bond between men and uh, young men, uh, men performing great deeds together, including sexual deeds, right? So these male friendships and erotic liaisons should be the focus of a man's life. And modern society wants to you know, weaken pederasty, wants to weaken these masculine bonds because of their threat to the established order. So every great thing in the past was done through, you know, friendship and arrows between men, essentially is the Bronze Age mindset. So the strongest rule, there are no curbs on their dominance, no efforts to protect those who have less power, no attempt to equalize between groups, right? Very different perspective from Judaism and Christianity. Uh, Bronze Age pervert believes in group differences, so I agree with that. Uh, I, I think that uh, equality has its role, right? Uh, equality before the law is is a wonderful ideal. But uh, Bronze Age pervert believes that equality and democracy are dead ends. I believe that uh, democracy is frequently the most adaptive form of government. He says, uh, Bronze Age pervert, I believe in fascism or something worse. I have given up long ago all hope of being part of a respectable world or winning a respectable audience. He says, I believe in rule by a military caste of men who would guide society toward a morality of eugenics. And Michael Anton received the book as a gift from Mencius Mobug, a.k.a. Curtis Yavin. And Michael Anton gave it a mixed review in the Claremont Review of Books, but a respectful review. He portrayed BAP as an important new alternative to mainstream conservatism, which has lost credibility with the young generation. Apparently, the Bronze Age Mindset book was passed around by young Trump staffers. On the surface, Bronze Age Mindset doesn't have much to do with the project of mainstream conservatism. Its goal is a niche. Most people would not want bands of pirates in charge. And that, from the bad perspective, is his ideal form of government. So there's long been an air of mystery about who this guy really is. But uh, he's recently doxxed. He was born in Romania in 1980 at age 10. He immigrated to the United States with his family. His father was a research engineer at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. He attended Newton South High School in a Tony part of Boston, 
in the Boston suburb of Newton. He was in the class of 1998, one year behind B.J. Novak and John Krasinski, future stars of The Office. Uh, Joe Rogan graduated from the same high school in 1985. I'm showing a picture of his high school yearbook. Lists him as yearbook's managing editor as well as class president. He's wearing a professorial jacket and tie and staring off camera hands, class behind his back. Went to MIT for undergrad. He majored in math. He won a prize in his junior year for a short story titled On Tyranny. After graduating, he did a master's degree in philosophy at Columbia. In the Columbia Daily Spectator, he weighed in on a controversy over the Israel-Palestine debate that erupted on Columbia's campus in 2005. He showed an early disillusionment with academic politics. He says this Middle East Studies Department, like nearly all others of its kind at other universities and like other departments within Columbia, has long replaced disinterested scholarship with political activism. Academic multiculturalism is not a scholarly school of exegesis. It is a political movement founded with the intent of forwarding a narrative of Western capitalist oppression and third world victimization. Then he entered the political science department at Yale to work on a PhD. He wrote uh, letters to the Yale Daily News. He excoriated the paper for left-leaning op-eds, including one about how Yale handled sexual assault classes. He wrote, I congratulate your paper on having advanced from incipient sexual Leninism to full-scale Maoism. He was mentored closely by his thesis advisor, the scholar Stephen Smith, an expert on the German-Jewish-American philosopher Leo Strauss. Alamario's passion was for classical political theory. He had a good command of ancient grief. He was a gifted student, eccentric, and followed his own drummer, Steve Smith told me. He was described as an international man of mystery who knew people, but he was not as close with, any, with anyone in particular. He was a contrarian. He enjoyed making a myth of himself. He played up his accent. And then when this former classmate heard Alamario on his podcast, he was surprised to hear that he was exaggerating his accent considerably. It was so ludicrous and so over the top and so bizarre and so surreal to listen to him basically doing a Slavic Zizek impression that I couldn't keep up with it. Another surprise was Bap's evangelism for weightlifting, since the classmate remembered him as skinny and pale. Someone who looked like he lived in an abandoned elevator shaft right, <laughs> that he hung upside down in. He was always interested in aristocracy. He showed an interest in hierarchy. An unusual character. He was friendly with a cohort of young political theorists from Smith's class on Machiavelli. No one knew where he lived. He would occasionally say that he lived in the back of his car, that he fit into the grad student social scene episodically. He was a character. He always acted like a character. The only person I've ever seen who wore a swimsuit and a cravat at the same time. He didn't recall any romantic relationships that Alamario had with either women or with men. Action is I hate it. I hate the homo stuff. The, you know, the, the posting of you know male beefcake pictures uh on the other hand i, I recognize that this guy does have a, a wild genius but you're, you're criticizing you're making the mistake of not criticizing the book that we are given but the book that you would prefer to him to have written I, I don't think the book is supposed to be I, I mean eric hoffer i'm familiar with his work he was a very measured fellow a bronze age pervert is not a measured fellow and as i say the book is properly appreciated as a prose poem or, or, or a fever dream i don't know you know this idea of manifesto it doesn't really strike me as being a manifesto in the classical sense either. You know, right, I mean, it's it, not argued logically like a manifesto. It's not. I mean, he, in the last section of the book, he has some suggestions, and he makes some very sound suggestions. Uh, for instance, uh, the importance of the alt-right or whatever you want to call it in the United States, I mean, the opposition to the pause to be as normal as possible in order not to scare away yeah. the normies. And he makes a very interesting argument about the uh, subversion of uh, entities like the military, for instance. 
Now, I, I suspect that there's a, a great many of uh, opponents of the fierce opponents of the pause within the military already. Now, the governments around the West are doing everything they can to make it just another branch of Globo Homo. Uh, but I don't think that they can succeed. Uh, you know, he he talks about piracy at great length. And you see that there's a tension in the text between, okay, the society that we that we live in now is filthy and disgusting and meaningless, which I think is largely true. So does that mean that we want a war of all against all? I mean, he goes on to praise, um, you know, Caligula. Yeah, that's just what I was going to say. Yeah. yeah. He praises now, all sorts of horrific tyrants. For their cruelty. cruelty for their cruelty, exactly. He praises them for their barbarity. Well, you see this... Uh, you know, what is what is inspirational, what is magical from books, and mostly corrupt books, has largely been purged from society. And that, that is a very great evil. Now, it may be that he's, you know, deliberately exaggerating to, to shock people, you know, to to wake them from their torpor. Yes. The problem is the book is all over. I mean, you know, it, he at point, he couldn't sustain any one of the books that he might have written. He might have written a serious philosophical argument. He starts out pretty strong there in parts. He might have written a critique, you know, or he might have written this fever dream, which he promised, um, you know, this entertaining, transgressive thing. But he didn't have a complete book in either of those. So he just kind of threw everything he had out there, I think, you know. But he's attempting transgressive, right? You know, this idea of transgressive art, right? It's supposed to- All right, back to this uh, Politico article by Rosie Gray. So he shared Stephen Smith's interest in Leo Strauss. He was particularly influenced by Strauss's 1952 work, Persecution and the Art of Writing which has, has a thesis that, uh, about esoteric writing that the great writers of history hide themselves behind different masks and different devices. They don't reveal themselves plainly and clearly to their readers. But Leo Strauss has the special decoder ring that will let you know what uh, Plato, Socrates, Aristotle really believed. So he was fascinated by the idea of a warrior ethos. He was fascinated by Yukio Mishima, right, the homosexual Japanese nationalist who committed ritual seppuku in 1970 after leading a failed imperialist coup d'etat. He was a Nietzschean. He loved Nietzsche's ideas concerning hierarchy. Nietzsche said modern culture would be run by the last men, nihilistic people living small lives based around guarding their creature comforts. So Bap calls this bug men. And Nietzsche thought the cure for the stagnation perpetuated by the last men would come in the form of a superman, an ubermensch, figure far superior to the last man who would be strong enough to impose a new order. He published his dissertation, Alamario did, in 2015. It's titled The Problem of Tyranny and Philosophy in the Thought of Plato and Nietzsche. It was original take, said his advisor Stephen Smith. The dissertation was in many ways a brilliant tour de force. He focused on one of Plato's dialogues, which includes a debate between Socrates and a philosopher named Callicles about the nature of tyranny. Callicles is in favor. Alamario's argument is original to him. That Plato purposefully made Socrates' anti-tyranny argument so weak that he must have intended that his audience side with Callicles' defense of tyranny. Smith didn't believe that Alamario's argument was interpretively correct, but Alamario stuck to his guns. He obtained his PhD from Yale in 2015. He went to Emory for a postdoc appointment for a year. It's the last time he worked in academia. Uh, being a right-winger in political science during the Obama years was pretty easy because history had decided we were extraneous, but it was different under Trump when many liberals began to view the right not just as wrong or an oddity, but as actively dangerous. So Kirsten was always a fringe character. He had an amusing curiosity. After his short-lived career in academia, his Bronze Age pervert persona was taking shape online. 
An account with that name became a regular poster in 2010 when he was in the middle of his graduate studies at Yale. They used to post on anonymous internet forum Solo and the Fora, which are now defunct. Early posts show that the ingredients for Bronze Age pervert were already in place. On April 16, 2011, Bap, whose profile photo was a muscular young man pulling his tank top to the side to expose a hairless, defined pectoral muscle, pitched a radical new proposal to other Fora users. From a eugenic point of view, we should accept and encourage the gay liberation movement, he wrote. He believed it is very likely that the majority of human males are homosexual. Sounds like Alan Bloom and a lot of other fantasists. He believes the majority of human males are homosexual. It's better to encourage them to do so. so that the few 2 to 3% of men who are alpha by nature should impregnate most of the women. There will be social chaos and an era of destruction upon us, but human nature will benefit as the majority of men who are homos will no longer breed. So this is a key plank of modern BAPism, the denigration of family life, the denigration of women, the denigration of marriage, and the valorization of the alpha male. So his profile picture on Salo was a fully nude male figure shot in black and white from behind. Obama won because I masturbated, Bap posted November 7, 2012. His posts are mainly about how most men are gay and how not gay he is, how he's into bodybuilding, genetics, nationalism, and beauty. He struggled with the expectations of partnership and marriage indicates he left the U.S. in 2015, describes seeing women from different countries being taken with the beauty of Brazilian women, but he is disgusted by American women who to him are animals and dog women. The worst part of living in the U.S. is this experience of never being carried away by desire for a woman in this way because none of them are capable of inspiring it. Well, maybe they're not capable of inspiring it, but what you really want to be doing is buggering young blokes. He was 34 when he wrote that post. He talked about the advantage of male-order brides. No one is worth marrying, he wrote in 2016. Marrying is inherently a bad deal for men. This is why bachelorhood was illegal in early Rome. Marriage is a social and political institution that men had to be coaxed in by law and by being given tremendous legal privileges, such as ownership of the wife and the family, including power of life and death. But even with those privileges, it's hardly worthy. That's why I say I would only consider marriage to a very rich woman. His byline began popping up around the internet in right-wing journals. In 2016, he wrote for Tacky's magazine, defending Donald Trump's praise of Vladimir Putin. He wrote, the same international vampires who raped Russia and who ate Putin for stopping their schemes are now shaking with fear that an American can stop them at home. He wrote again for Tacky's about South American politics. He wrote essays on his Medium page. He lambasted global elites turned towards matriarchy in a system that favors incompetent bureaucratic functionaries comparable to historic court eunuchs. Class of servants in ancient history have been castrated. He argued that uh, privileged women didn't get the matriarch they believe was their due, meaning Hillary Clinton, because of a sense of entitlement that they'd been afforded by a corrupt elite full of weak-minded and easily controlled mental and spiritual cripples. To transgress against the norms of the day. That's supposed to be the idea, but it shows how screwed up we are. Here's this guy. What's he, he's talking about paws and everything. That's the evil. And then the next page, I like to hang out with the perverts and hobos. You know, well, where are you, guy? I mean, I might take you seriously. You know. Well, I mean, you see that uh, you see this in Celine's life. No, he may have exaggerated this uh, for his novels, but uh, you know, Celine was a very interesting fellow. He's what they call a doctor. Doctor. He was a uh, physician and MD, but he was also a PhD. He traveled all over the world. He worked in Africa. He fought in the First World War. He he worked for the what the Ford Foundation. You know, traveled America. He worked for the uh, the World Health Organization or whatever the equivalent was at the time. But this, you know, th there is a very strong argument to be made against book learning 
in that this idea that everything that, that, that all humanity can be reduced to uh, black marks on. All right, just because you read books and venerate book learning doesn't mean that you think that all of humanity can be reduced to black marks on a white page. A page. That w I think this is especially strong now uh, be because the academy is, is completely corrupt. And, but we seem to live in a world where this, you know, the, well, no, I'll specify it. I never have to leave my home, says the bug man. Why is that? Well, I have an app for everything that I would need. and it would There's a great difference between using an app to reduce needless chores outside your home, such as shopping for groceries and picking up uh, takeout. It doesn't mean you, you never leave your home. It means that you use your time more efficiently so that you can spend more of your time with people you love instead of doing you know, humdrum mundane tasks that you can more efficiently pay other people to perform for you. So obviously, never leaving your home is not an ide ideal way to live, and there's nothing in any traditional conception of life of which I'm aware that would venerate that. Would be delivered to me. Oh, so y your hatred of human contact is that great? Oh, I have friends. The bug man says, "Yes." How curious that the friends are all exactly like you. That, for instance, if there's a photo. Yeah, the more you have in common with people, right, the more likely you are to bond. Taken of you, you all make the same soylent grin. You all share the same tastes and enthusiasms. And, um, you know, what do you argue about? Who was the best Captain Kirk? I, I suspect Can that I many, many of a bug man friendship uh, has been uh, wrecked on that divide. Let me push back against that. I mean, uh, you know, one thing you probably tired of, as I have, people telling us back in the day about the stultifying um, conformity of the 50s, right? Right. And you would have said the same thing about the 50s. Look at them all. Look at them, man in the gray flannel suit. They all drive the same car. They all, same hat. They all make the same face for photos. Is it really the conformity or just the content, right? It's, it's what that we're doing with all of this. You know what I mean? Our lives are just things and, and less and less family, you know. Well, I, I just want to say something about the 1950s. The 1950s was a decade of intellectual turmoil. You know, you don't have to read very much to, to understand this. Allen Ginsberg became a big deal in the 1950s. You, you know, you had the beats. You, you had this uh, folk music revival, you know, which to a large extent was uh, simply communism on acoustic guitars. Uh, but there was this very strong sense of the 1950s that something had gone wrong. Is that is it, is it, we fought this great war against uh, Germany and Japan. Enormous sacrifices were made. 400,000 Americans lost their lives. And so the purpose of that was that uh, we could all move to the suburbs and buy a new car a a every two years and uh, bicker about you know whose lawn was best. But I really love people who, who uh, keep, keep up their yards, who, who, who uh, keep up their lawns. I, I vastly prefer living around people who take great pride in, in the way they keep up their lawns to people who don't. And as far as uh, materialism, all the people I know who have extravagant collections, say extravagant collections of Ferraris, extravagant collections of, of other sports cars, these are all people married with multiple children, uh, grandchildren, with uh, tremendous human relationships, uh, members of uh, my religious community uh, who, who lead lives, you know, very closely inter inter intertwined with uh, other people. They're just, you know, the very opposite of, of someone who's who, who makes material things their number one goal. For, for the people I know who really collect in a serious way, it's just a nice add-on. And so, I, once again, I've never met anyone who, who makes the accumulation of, of goods um, the number one theme in their life. Uh, Manik, you were going to say something a couple of minutes ago. Mm, um, yeah, about the, a couple of things, actually. The, the first is that I, I totally agree with Kevin that um, writing and reading don't have to be the end all, right? Like, we know that Jesus and Socrates and others didn't write stuff down. And that I think, I, I actually think we are moving toward an age of like oratory and image and away from the written word, uh, you know, for better and worse. I mean, I think there will be, it will just signify changes. Um, I think 
the thing that, uh, like, uh, Dennis, I don't really mean this as a takedown or criticism or anything, but I was thinking while you were um, critiquing, and again, I, I sort of accept on default what you're saying about the book, not having read it myself, so maybe it is a failure. But I, I want us to all kind of think about how we live, I think we live in a time where, like, giving yourself permission to sign on to some sort of emotional movement, some sort of new thing, is actually very difficult for us. It's, it's actually much simpler to just critique and to take down and to sort of naysay because we've been raised, you know, sort of jokingly in the culture of critique. I mean, this is what we live in now. So it's so, so some, you know, some, somebody generates a new something and, you know, we show our chops by kind of leaning back and being not impressed. And so this might not be the book for, to impress us. I mean, stipulated, but like, I want us to kind of keep the part of our minds that might be able to receive a charismatic movement, like a prophetic new thing, a romanticism, because uh, otherwise I think we're just going to be stuck in this kind of um, sciency enlightenment, you know, in the suburb, like just in, urban planning and all that stuff forever. And uh, it culminates in globalism and deracination and the end of meaningful cultural distinctions, I think. Yes, without charisma, religion, mysticism, mm -hmm. something, it's all dead. Yeah. We live in an age where we're well into the demystification of the physical world, right? Not that long ago, people were born in every freaking thing, animate object, or even the very rocks seemed were, were embedded with mystery, imbued with yeah. mystery, because we didn't know how anything worked. Now we know so much about how anything works, we're infected with the idea that we're going to somehow find out or already know how everything works and that there's nothing really left to know. It's a deadening process. That's why I'm sympathetic to these guys who are like, you know, talking about scientism, whatever, and, and critiquing science. Um, well, if you guys want, sorry, sorry, Dennis, finish your point. I was just going to say because it's limited and limiting. Well, if you guys want to be around emotion, just be around Middle Eastern people, whether Jews or, or Arabs or, I mean, they'll give you all the emotions you want. I mean, I live in an Orthodox Jewish community. People have very intense expressions of emotion. Uh, there's tons of mysticism. You can go to the mysticism class seven days a week. Uh, there are all sorts of esoteric rituals that uh, would not make sense to, to the modern man. So uh, this isn't just Jews. If you connect with, with Muslims or Baha'i or uh, some, some other like Middle Eastern group, you'll get the strong emotions, the emotional intensity, the uh, esoteric and mystical practices and, and talks. You can get that all you want. Uh, it, it's just a very different uh, community and mindset from the Northern European one, which I think is what you, you were describing as something you want to move on from, Maddox. So it's kind of interesting that the things that you were talking about, wanting charisma, emotion, and, and mysticism, and, and esoteric uh, practices, you, you'll get that all you want among Middle Eastern peoples. And uh, we will continue this later today. Bye-bye.